Welcome to Emotional Savvy, the Relationship Help Show. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. If you're ready to increase your confidence in conversations and conflict, deepen your self-awareness, expand your connectedness, and enrich your relationship with yourself and other humans you care about, and even those you wish you didn't, you're in the right place. Enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome. There's so many things to consider, and I know if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you begin to understand the wide range of things that can happen in a relationship, that can happen within you, within your mind, your perception of the relationship, things that can be happening in other persons' lives and minds, so many factors to consider. And most people don't think about abuse. They don't think, oh, this is abusive they take it on. They take it on and say, oh, what am I doing that makes this person so angry or so upset or so nasty? And they they rightly do. I mean, that's a good thing to do. Ask yourself, am I doing something that's pushing these buttons that maybe I could change? We always want to be clean and clear with ourselves that we're not just blaming somebody else for what's going on. So it's a good thing to do. Ask yourself, how am I contributing to this? Is there something I could change? And then try that out first. But then it's so important to look at the other person's behavior. And that's often why you come to a a professional like myself. And I have clients all over the world because I work through video conferencing. So I know this is the same in so many countries. People will come and they'll say, here's what's going on what do you think? And I will say, do you recognize that that is abuse? And they say, well, no, you know, he or she was having a bad day, going through a bad time. They had a terrible childhood, all these kinds of things that they come up with rationalizations and sometimes beyond rationalizations to an excuse for why the other person is behaving badly, whether that's their parent or their partner or their ex or a boss or a friend. They'll come up with these reasons why this person is behaving badly and why they deserve compassion. And Sometimes they go so far as to say why they think it's right that they should be turning themselves into a pretzel and, sadly enough, often behaving like a doormat. And so when we come to talk and and I can have a clear view, I'm not emotionally involved, and the person lays it out and I can say, you know, that's abuse. That's verbal abuse, that's emotional abuse, that's spiritual abuse, that's um, could be physical or sexual abuse, but those are more obvious. You know, these are the things that you don't want to see. So when you go and work with somebody, they're helping you by holding a neutral space while you describe what's going on so they can say, what about this? It seems to look a little like this. What do you think? And that will help you because many times you become the prey. And I mean that. I don't think we're victims. I think we're prey. We have become the unwitting prey of those folks I call hijackals. 
Those people who hijack relationships for their own purposes and then relentlessly scavenge them for power and status and control, and they need to win, so therefore everything is your fault. So it's very important for you to have a little help to look at that. I know uh, yesterday I was talking with somebody who came on a call with me, and when you're a member at Optimized Circles, uh, you can come on and ask me anything call, and it's completely anonymous if you want it to be. You can ask your questions. And in in those questions, there was a person who really understood the dynamics of the abuse and yet said, why can't I leave? Well, that's a big question. I've talked about it on other episodes in the podcasts. And, you know, I have two podcasts. I have Emotional Savvy, the Relationship Help Show. I also have one called Save Your Sanity, Help for Handling Hijackles. So you can find these at relationshiphelpnetwork.com, relationshiphelpnetwork.com. I also have a brand new one starting in a couple of weeks for the bright side of it all, and it's called Focus on Forward, Fuel for a Fearless Future. So it's important to realize you're not alone and you may need someone to walk beside you. And this woman on the Ask Me Anything call was saying, why can't I leave? Well, she was so used to justifying the behaviors of her partner. And she kept telling me, he's smart, he's educated, he has advanced degrees, he's done well in his his career. You know, she's giving me all of this supposed evidence that he should behave better. And yes, by all rights, he should behave better if he's educated and smart and all. But if, in fact... In his upbringing, usually in the first two, three years of his life, things got shifted a little sideways by his parents, the way they were, by emotional neglect, by uh, various kinds of abuse. They don't have a way of figuring out what's the right thing to do. They only know that they need to survive. And that's what had happened to her partner. Smart educated on top of it, and he was a hijackle, is a hijackle. And so we began the process of just talking about what it takes to sort of take his fingers off her and she could walk away. But we have to be able to call it abuse, and that's so important. So we're going to talk about that more. And I'm glad you're here. I hope you'll invite a few friends to listen to this because everybody needs to know it so that you can identify it. And uh, welcome. Listen to other podcasts. Visit my YouTube channel for relationship help. And one thing you might want to know, I have a free live stream on YouTube every Monday night at 6 o'clock Pacific time. You can come for that hour. Put your questions in the chat and we will talk. So, so much for you. Make it a great day. Be positive, but be moving away from all that is negative. Talk soon.
found by listening to other people's podcasts and videos, and I'm excited to welcome April Jukes to this program. And April, I'm just going to tell people a little bit about you before we start to talk so they can understand the deep, deep, deep things you've been through so they'll understand the learning you're going to share with them. So I'm just going to read you a few things about April. She escaped the abyss of abuse through what she calls pinpoints of light. And she's written a book about that called, in fact, Pinpoints of Light and escape from the abuse of uh, the abyss of abuse so you're going to read and hear all about that and i hope that you will go and read her book and she helps people who have been battered and beaten and broken discover their strengths and to move and shift from victim to victor and so she's been in difficult situations. She's been homeless with five children. She's experienced abuse. She's experienced some other aspects of mental illness that many people do not. And she's turned this knowledge and experience of those relationships as well as having children with autism and with impaired hearing into the way that she can help people see life in a different way. So welcome to the program, April. Thank you for having me. It's exciting to talk to people and to share this information because everybody's in a different place. Everybody has different challenges. Everybody's at different levels of personal growth or awareness or willingness to be aware of what's actually going on with them. And so um, in earlier conversations with you, I know a little bit about your story. Could you quickly share the story for listeners? Sure. Um, so just as a quick synopsis, um, basically when we, when I was dating my first husband, I didn't really notice very many signs of, of any troubles or struggles because we both had the same goals and the same same ideals and same things that we wanted to kind of pursue. And then as we got into the marriage, um, started to find out very quickly that some of those goals and ideals, um, even though they were wished and hoped for, the reality for him with his mental illness to be able to bring those to come to pass were just not there. And then with pressure and, and uh, stress, it's a great word for it, um, things started to really unwind and we fell into a deep darkness and in that mental abuse and emotional and then with his mental health failing and becoming mental illness then physical abuse started to happen but it was cyclic um, it would definitely go on these ups and highs for months at a time Ooh. and that was a test for me to, to kind of think well look we've been going on for three or four even five months now this looks like we're we've made it through, we've made it through the darkness onto the other side. And, you know, some of those times I'd be so happy to report back to my family, well, this is what we're doing again. And it seems like as soon as we'd hit that, that crest, that pinnacle, then the cycle would start over again, back into substance abuse and into the mental and physical abuse. And we had five cycles because I have five children. So uh, within those nine years, that's kind of how things unrolled. Of that mm -hmm. one. So tell me what the connection is to five cycles and five children. Because <laughs> as far as I know, those two things are not connected. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, for us, um, thinking about being more stable again, willing to think 
okay, I think Uh, the things in the past have been fixed because look, we're able to be here. Um, His, his ability to, you know, to not do the substance abuse anymore. We've been through counseling and he's checked off all those boxes, so to speak, right? The checkoff list of this is happening now, this is happening now, we've progressed to this point. Let's trust each other again. And then I'd find myself pregnant again and then we'd spin down into the next cycle. Okay, so I get it. It's it's not <laughs> that, you know, it was really that you were hooked on hope. Yeah. Now um, it's going to be better. Now we've got a handle on this. Now we can proceed with some assurance. Right. And so life can be normal. Great. <laughs> you Great. Know, it's just going to have the normal ups and downs instead of the peaks and valleys that we've been experiencing. And I think many people can relate to that, April, because we want to believe that if we love somebody enough, if we're patient enough, if we compromise enough, if we're not demanding, if we love them so they really, really know that they're loved and they can relax. And, and you know, we have such hope. And that's what I mean when I say hooked on hope. There's another kind of hooked on hope, too, that it's worth mentioning here for, for listeners, which is that when we meet someone who has hijackal tendencies, which I talk about, which are tendencies, behaviors, patterns, traits, cycles of people with personality disorders, um, and that also includes people with mental illnesses. It's like in the beginning, we are so enthralled by the biological imperative to mate, and we are so excited about this person that our rose-colored glasses seem to come out, and we need them so that we will, in fact, meet that biological imperative. Did you, on reflection, see any signs that you could have picked up earlier or was it all really good in the beginning and you had no clues? There was probably many signs and my willingness to look for them. I I think was really harbored by fear. Mm-hmm. And I I think there were times where things were pointed out, but then I wanted to just hope for, I think, the fantasy and hope for this other portion. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so normal. It is so natural for you. Know, so what's important in looking at these things? You know, you're bringing up some really key items and going beyond what many people experience. So this shift that we were speaking of, you know, the difference between things that are behaviors of, not necessarily diagnosable as, but behaviors of personality disorders and that shift into what is actually an actively mental illness is a huge thing. And we don't want to look at it because, oh no, I could be mistaken. We want to think the best of somebody else. We want to see the best in somebody else. And how long did it take before you began to see that there really were cracks in this? Uh Unfortunately, it took me to really be truthful with myself into the fifth year, almost the sixth year of our marriage for me to finally say, okay, there are things here that are much bigger than what anything, any counselor has talked about, anything that has to do with substance abuse 
All of these things are just kind of symptoms of what's really happening here. And when that started to be very clear, I began to I began to think of it as well, it wasn't just getting him help. It was how are we going to get out of this and get out of it alive? Mm-hmm. Because I could not understand how his mental thoughts could range so extremely. And within the next breath, he would be laughing. Within the next breath, he would want to be just, you know, throttling something. And the swings were so intense. And I just thought, that's going to be me one day. And in fact, on the the day he was arrested and charged, um, he, I was in in a safe place looking through some blinds as he was being taken away. And he knew exactly where I was for some reason. And he stared right through those split blinds and met my eye. And I knew that we were going to be a news story that night and that everything I had been planning and thinking about had to be enacted within minutes. And so that's, that's definitely the, the route it took. But in that sixth year, when I knew that the cracks were bigger than anything else, um, I first really started to think about how I could find people who would trust me with my story. That was definitely the hardest part. I talk about how in order for a victim to become a a victor, they have to have a team with them. And one of the pieces of that team are advocates. And I label them as kind of in that professional, the first responders, an advocate that's maybe at a homeless shelter that helps you legally. Those are the advocates. And then another category I have is the supporter. A supporter are the friends and the family, the ones that have kind of been through your whole story with you. And for my story, because of the illness side of things, again, when I would present, when, when we were on a high of the cycle, oh, look, things are cleared up again. We don't do this anymore. Things are great. I mean, how many times did I break trust with those supporters? Hundreds of times. I, I remember one of my supporters, um, who I will not name, basically had said to me, you've shared with me this story over and over and over again. I'm out. Mm-hmm. I can no longer do this. Sure. Well, that's the hooked on hope piece. Yes. It because- was so crushing because mm-hmm. I needed that person at the time that I needed them. And I can completely, on the other end of it, understand why they were out. I knew Yeah. It. And, you know, that, that's a very difficult place because, as you say, those supporters were family and friends. They're not equipped to deal with it. You know, someone who has training, you know, like I have for my clients, knows that this pattern continues, knows that this is going to happen over and over and that you are approximating a solution. You're getting closer and closer. Either you're going to go under and become that news story. And, you know, I have had one, or I've had many that were disastrous situations that occurred, but one in particular where, you know, I, I suggested that that person do exactly what you did and not become that news story. And within days, her husband had walked into where she worked and shot her between the eyes and killed himself. And so these things happen in an instant, everybody. So what April is saying is that she recognized that when the person is about to break, when that person is right on the edge, 
you have to take action on behalf of yourself. Never be afraid to call for help. And yes, you'll wear some people out. That's what you were saying, April. Right. Yeah. And it's important for everybody who is in any kind of abusive situation, whether that's continuous verbal abuse or emotional abuse, which is definitely much more than, than we think. In fact, I just shared something on Facebook yesterday from the BBC that Scotland, the whole country, has now declared that there are 10 different things that people can be charged with that are in the category of emotional abuse. Now, that scares me, April, and it it it's something to celebrate at the same time. And why it scares me is this. Right now in the United States, where I am, and Canada, where I'm from, the, the ability for law enforcement and for the people in the court and justice system and attorneys to recognize these kinds of behaviors, whether they're hijackal or mental illness behavior, is very limited. And so when they go to court, they lie, they manipulate, they exploit, they seduce. And because courts are a snapshot or a doctor's visit is a snapshot or a counselor's visit is a snapshot, they don't see the whole video. Yeah, and I have to respond to that because in my snapshot at the judge, when we were at court for my protective order, I was so blessed. He had one of his psychotic episodes in front of the judge. Oh. I, I couldn't have asked for anything. It was a gift. And that sounds pretty snarky, but really it was. And like you said, the courts can only do so much. And the whole custody battle, I knew I was going to get full custody. But the visitation is what terrified me because I have no say, no control, nothing. And I was warned, you know, visitation will still happen. He cannot terminate uh, parental rights. This is not that court for this. This is protection. And I just couldn't understand. But I went through with it. And he had an episode in front of the judge. And so when the judge um, laid out what was going to happen as far as custody, I, was, I received full custody. And then he was only given one hour, once a week, supervised visitation that he had to set up and that was the key because he knew mentally his abilities were never going to be able to do that yeah he wouldn't do it he wouldn't be able to he wouldn't do it and he hasn't for 12 years my kids have been free from that part of it and that's that's by the grace of god that well it certainly is <laughs> Because, you know, I've been to court on behalf of my clients. I don't do that anymore because it doesn't help. <clears throat> um, it, it just takes court time, and it's better for me to just submit pieces of paper. But <laughs> it, this, this I've seen happen too frequently because someone will go to court, someone who's a hijackal or an abuser of some kind will go to court. They will tell the story in such a persuasive way and with such uh, unabashed innocence in their lie that the judge believes them and the attorneys are not wise to what's going on um, they're just doing their jobs to the ability and experience they have and then this kind of thing is perpetuated so you're right absolutely by the grace of God at that moment he had a break and and that's terrific so 
you were talking about in some of the things that we spoke of earlier that how important it was for you to find your worth and value to then turn the spotlight on yourself to begin to heal in order to be a better person for yourself and for your children. Tell us more about finding that worth and value. I found that worth, um, it was in the latter part of my seventh year of marriage into the eighth year of marriage. And I wanted to really just, I needed to have some type of a focus where, again, this was part of that plan. Consciously, I don't think I labeled it as such, but subconsciously, this was part of it. I knew I had light within me and I knew that we were all created from light. And I just thought, with this light that I have, what can I give to somebody else? So I was in the mode of service, even though all of this was happening within my life. And that opportunity popped into my hands probably within a week that I had decided that. And it came in the form of becoming a founding parent for a charter school that would eventually educate my children, eventually hire me as a teacher, eventually help us, you know, along our way. So once I started to change my thought patterns and I had to consciously change it into I had worth and I had light at the, the, what I call the destroyer, <laughs> those doubting thoughts were definitely value of what? Look at your mess. It's terrible. All of these kinds of things. I just had to, there was no magic. I had to consciously just turn like physically and consciously turn my head and say, you have worth you have light, and you have some people that are depending on you. And I was really focused in on my children. And so, again, no magic, just sheer grit and will to just keep pushing through. Now, when I joined, as far as with the parents go, I could start to see some health. I could see some healthy relationships. I could see how people communicated because I had been so isolated. And in isolation... It's just terrifying how far away you, you are from the reality of life. And when I started to get with groups of people and could see things and touch base again, that added more light to me, which confirmed my value. And with little steps at a time, again, those pinpoints, that's where I was led. You were fortunate. You know, for many people, when you are in a difficult situation, you have all of what we call the flying monkeys around. We have the, we have the people who believe the abuser. We have the people who support the abuser. We have the people who make you wrong and make the abuser right. So you were very fortunate. Yes, everyone who's with a hijackal or somebody with severe issues will isolate you. That's the only way they can stay in some sense of power and control in their own mind. And so they do that. But then when you look at, if I were able to talk to someone, which is the beauty of what you seem to have done, April, is, you know, okay, I'm isolated, but if I get to choose who I'm going to be with, let me choose healthy people not choose the people that are maybe right available to me at this moment, but the people maybe a degree or two further away from me that I can plant myself into because I like how they are and I appreciate the health and the direction and, and their values. And it's so important, right? Right. It was, it was a crucial, crucial moment for me. I remember um, there, was, there was an event that we had been 
working up to for nine months and going on this event. It took planning. It took all of these types of things, which were, uh, they were goal setting. And I hadn't set goals like this for a long time in my former years as I was a gymnast, I was a competitor. I did all of these things and I knew how to do this. So in this event that took nine months to plan, this whole thing of setting goals and attending meetings and having something outside of myself to, to look forward to, right. it was so healing. And again, I consciously didn't really think about it that way, but I could feel myself gaining more strength, more hope, more power within what I could do. I was no longer in this out of control place where he had everything in all control and I would just be, I guess we have to go with this now. I guess we have to go with that now. Mm -hmm. I started to take some control back. And when I stood firmly on the ground in July of 2006 saying, I'm going to get my job, I'm going to get my master's and I'm done with this. I hadn't left him, but I felt so confident in that within three days, I was signed up for a master's course to get my teaching certification and I got a job all within three days. It was, it was such a testimony to me that once I could see it, declare it, it was given. Now I'm not saying that always happens, but I think for the years I endured that when I finally knew the direction I could go and he, my I, who my, my heavenly father, my creator, knew that I wasn't going to go back. He knew that I was focused in the right way, placed it in front of me, and I went to the next and the next. Mm -hmm. And so when we left in November, even though it was kind of a tragic rip away type of leaving, I had been ready. Mm -hmm. I had had those nine months. I had had a group of parents. I had seen something without, you know, outside of myself, and now I was in a master's course. And I could see so much more than just what was happening within my life. And I wanted that. And so I mm. reached for it. So, but you had been preparing for possibilities. That's what I call it. You know, you had seen that there was another way. You could see that you wanted that other way. You could see that there was a necessity for creating another way. So you, you had the power and preparation for possibilities. And when the moment came, disastrous and damaging as it was because I know that you wrote about it in your book I think you call that chapter that night <laughs> and that precipitating event that occurred but you know and everybody you want to read that book pinpoints of light escaping from the abyss of abuse um, you were you were already mentally in another place in that place of possibilities ready to Go. You'd done a lot of preparation. As you said, you were in school. You'd taken positive steps. And that's very encouraging to everybody listening because no matter where you are in the relationship, even if you're just waking up to the fact that what's going on is you're with a hijackle and you can't change that person. I know you want to. I know you'd <laughs> love to, but you can't change that person. And they don't want to change anyway. And you have to recognize that. This part of what's going on for them is that they have to, they are so fragile that in their egos and in their sense of things that they have to be, maintain the idea of the perfection for themselves. And then at home, they treat you badly, but out in the world, they look like 
painting a picture of perfection. And yeah. so there are all these things going on, right? Right. I remember someone telling me, well, he can't be abusive because he's always on time. He's always on time for meetings. He, and I just thought, oh, well, punctuality, that excuses everything. I, <laughs> I, I think my mouth just kind of hung open for a second. He's on time? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's a great example, April, of how people yeah. will grab at straws to, to in, reinforce their idea of normality. I mean, right. that's a stretch by anybody's <laughs> standards, but that person just so didn't want to wrap their head around the possibility of pain that they, they went for what that picture of perfection was. Right. And it's important for us to recognize that because what you've been through is monumental. I mean, you have children with autism and you're still planning to leave. You're still recognizing that there are problems you can't fix. And those key moments when you realize, not within my power to change this person. You know, it, it, I'd like to, but I've done everything I can. Now I have to be realistic. I cannot. Right. That's a huge step, April. So, you know, high five for that one many times over from every single person who's listening, I know, and that you're very encouraging to that. So what led you to actually put the experience into your book? Um, well, if I'm understanding your question correctly, the, the whole concept of wanting to help others and, and get to that point so that people did not have to go through the depths of where I was. I think we all will have um, trials and aspects in our life. And if we can recognize it early enough, then they don't have to go through the depths of things. And, and uh, I knew in my healing process, um, I hope this kind of makes sense, but I, I was giving a speech about this at one time and afterwards we were, I was signing books and the, beautiful lady, she came up to me and she said, I didn't realize, I mean, you'd written the book, you've gotten out. So I just thought the end, mm -hmm. I'm realizing today that that was just your beginning and how you had to do the healing afterwards and what it took from there on out. And I said, yeah, and it, and it will continue. It's a journey. It's not a, a specific time frame or anything. I mean, there are definite markers uh, we are much better off than I was, you know, three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. I'm now much better off than I was just last week. And because it's a journey, and if we're really thinking about how healing is in that aspect, then we won't feel like, um, like a, a checkbox or, or, you know, I've done this and this and this. Why aren't I better? No, <laughs> no, no, no. You're so right. It's a process and it's an everlasting journey. Yeah. You know, I've, I've had the, I've had hijackals in my life. I was raised by them. I married and divorced. I, I co-parented. I've done all of this. This is why I do the work that I do. It's why you, you share your story and why you've written the book to say to people, no, no, it's an ongoing learning process. You're learning about yourself. You're uncovering different aspects of yourself. Little things, like I have clients all over the world, April, and, and it's the little things like all of a sudden something from the past will pop in and we get to look at it because we've taken enough away that now that can pop out. And then we have that to look at, that to make decisions about, that to maybe create a new habit because that one isn't working. 
a mental thought and mindset, all of those things that have to go with having a healthy life emotionally, physically, in every possible way. So I want to thank you for sharing your story with us. You can also see uh, April's segment earlier on the show in the It Happened to Me, where she goes into her depth, her story in more depth, and you can listen to the whole story. Or you can just right away go out and get a copy of her book at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Goodreads. It's called Pinpoints of Light, Escaping the Abyss of Abuse. I'm going to read it. I hope you will. And I'm just so thankful that you were willing to share the story with us, April. You're so welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. I hope that everyone who has had an opportunity to listen will feel of that little spark of hope of light within themselves. And if they add to it, they really can share it for, for so many other people. Mm-hmm. There's something really interesting about light is that like if you strike a match and if you hold the match up to something where it's going to cast a shadow, you will see the stick as the shadow and the little flame. You will not see a shadow there because the light can never cast a shadow. And if you are willing to feed your light, it will cast your shadows out. Beautifully said. My guest today has been April Juke, and you can find her at, strangely enough, because she doesn't use that name, and I can understand why, because it's difficult to spell. So <laughs> go to apriltribe, T-R-I-B-E dot com, learn more about April, go to Amazon, Goodreads, or Barnes & Noble, get her book, Pinpoints of Light, Escaping the Abyss of Abuse. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. You know, you can always find me at 4FORRelationshiphelp.com or on my YouTube channel by the same name, 4RelationshipHelp. So many wonderful guests, so many stories to help you on your journey. Take good care, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for being here for today's episode of Emotional Savvy. If you want to deepen your emotional savvy, make shifts in your relationships, and enjoy life and relationships more, work with me, Dr. Roberta Shaler. Get my books, enjoy my courses, or work with me directly. You can do that by visiting 4RelationshipHelp.com, F-O-R, Relationship, H-E-L-P.com, and subscribe to Tips for Relationships now. Don't miss a thing. Be empowered this week with more emotional savvy.